Hello friends and welcome to the Pregnancy Loss Podcast. I'm Valen. I will be your host every Tuesday. I am a postpartum and bereavement doula, mom of four, lost mom, lover of Pilates, watermelon, crystal healing, and most of all, matte pink lipstick. I literally can't get enough. This podcast is to create awareness of all the realities that come during and after pregnancy loss. Not only will we talk about the pregnancy loss part, but also life and motherhood after. This is something that I see rarely discussed. My hope is that you leave this podcast feeling just a bit lighter, but also educated, supported, and really seen. This podcast is not only for parents of loss, but also the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, the family, the friends that it has affected. If you have a topic you'd love to see discussed, leave me a comment on the episode you're listening to, and I'll respond personally. Let's jump in. Hey mamas, we have a super special episode today, and I'm so happy you're here to share it with us. Um, I'm interviewing Katie Joy Duke. She is an author, a mindset coach for women, transformational speaker, and mom of two daughters, one living and one in spirit. She practiced social justice law for nine years before her firstborn daughter, Poppy, was stillborn at full term. Motivated to heal from her devastating loss, she left her legal career in 2016 and spent six years writing her best-selling memoir, Still Breathing My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention, which she published May of 2022. And on a side note, I bought it and I read it before I had this conversation, and it's a very healing, loving, just wonderful book if you're looking for something to read. Um, Only days after submitting her final manuscript to her copy editor, Katie got her first ever mammogram. That scan led to many others, and at the tender age of 41, Katie was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer, which was just last year. She she completed five months of chemotherapy in August, had a mastectomy and lymph node surgery in October, and then six weeks of radiation this January and February. Authenticity is her number one value, and she looks forward to writing another memoir about her healing journey with cancer. From the moment we started talking, I just, I fell in love with this woman. Um, I'm so excited for you guys to learn and hear from her. Um, She just got done with her chemo session. I think she said a week before we had our conversation. So she is just a badass and she's just still healing and still sharing her story and still trying to help other women who have suffered through loss like we have. So enjoy this conversation. I am so excited to introduce you to Katie Joy Duke. I've never edited one podcast. I just post them because I'm like, if I don't, I'll never do it. Um, Okay, well, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, guys, thank you for being here. We have Katie Joy Duke. Do you go by Duke's, like, your last name? Yeah, that's my last name. I never never changed it because I was practicing oh, I law when, um, when Eli and I got married, and I just wanted to keep that, like, I just had that identity as a lawyer and wanted to keep it. And then as I developed, you know, subsequently my, my sort of my, my writing and my author, and I'm just like, I love it. Plus in some ways, it's also an homage to my father because, and you know, you've read my book, but Jim Duke, I'm, I'm Jim Duke's daughter and I will always be Jim Duke's daughter. So. (laughs) So beautiful. I love that so much, but yeah, so we're here today to talk about your story um, your stillbirth story and your daughter, Poppy. So, I mean, we can start with just you telling us your story, like Sh- sure. You share. Sure. Great. Yeah. So thanks so much for having me, Valen. And, um, yeah, my name is Katie Joy Duke. I'm an author and a coach and, um, I used to practice law and now I have a beautiful rainbow baby who is, um, five and a half, not quite, a, not really a baby anymore. <laughs> But yeah, so Valen and I connected um, around our story of stillbirth and loss. Um, My husband and I were um, actually, this is a very special day. So we're recording on February 15th. I know that things don't air the day they record, but um, today is actually our engage anniversary. So we were engaged on this day in 2015. I know. And as the story goes, which is not a spoiler, um, if for anyone who chooses to read my memoir, um, which I hope all you do, is um, we found out the very next day that we were pregnant with our daughter. 
So tomorrow, February 16th, is the day that we found out we were pregnant with Poppy. So I went from being Eli's girlfriend to Eli's fiance to the future mother of Eli's children, (laughs) all in the span of 48 hours, you know, 72 hours, whatever. It was a it was a big trip. We were on vacation in Hawaii, and it was really wonderful. And it, I mean, it was all very romantic and and beautiful. And so the story for us goes that um, we ended up having a very beautiful pregnancy, and we ended up getting married um, on April twenty fifth. So shortly after we returned home from our trip, we decided to have a wedding and put everything together and kept uh, kept Poppy a surprise from our parents and from 90 plus percent of our community. We wanted, we wanted the wedding to be about us. We wanted it to be about our union and our love. And then of course have this beautiful surprise that we were also going to be parents. And we were, we were, I don't want to say we were ready. We were, I mean, we were ready ish, right? Like we were both in our mid thirties and um, it was a good time to have children, but we hadn't like planned it out. Let's just say that. Um, Anyway, so I had a really beautiful pregnancy. I loved being pregnant. I was one of those women that glowed. <laughs> I was just like, you know, I, I never had morning sickness. I, I just, I just had like, you know, it was, it was like I felt, I felt like I was like, oh, I just felt like the, one of these earth goddesses. Like it was just like, oh, this is, this is what, this is what the the body is meant to do. And you know, and meanwhile, I was also a lawyer, so I was working and and um, practicing law and and arguing cases in court. So I'm like putting all my cute maternity suits on and everything that I like, that was fun. I was like, got to go shopping for fancy maternity clothes. Anyway, so I really, I was, I was really into it and um, everything progressed really, really well um, until, until the very end. And at, at which point, um, so we were, I was due on October 25th. So that was my due date, 2015. Um, a little over seven years ago now. And um, in the same way, Valen, because I've listened to your birth story on your podcast, um, Poppy, Poppy's movements definitely slowed down. And, you know, I have to say, I've never heard anyone describe it the way that you did, which actually in some way I want to, I'm glad that I'm saying this, but I feel like a little part of me healed when I listened to you describe your experience of Evelyn, right? Evelyn, her movements slowing. So like, you know, you, you could tell that she had slowed down, but you were still moving. And so she was still moving. And so there was this, there was this desire, you know, this longing like inside of you. That's like, you just, you're like, Oh, well that's okay. It's okay. Right. Like I'm, 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 I'm ready. You know, she's, she's slowed down because there's not much room and like all these things that we're told. Yeah. And everything that you Google about, you know, baby's movement slowing down and all the things and you just, you, you know, cause you can't conceptualize, I, I think at that point, un- unless for instance, I'm sure there are some women who maybe have like, are very anxious and like, just like, I'm going to go to the emergency room. Right. In my case, that never crossed my mind. It so. never, or I didn't allow it to, right. Like maybe our deepest seated fears, we just don't ever let them surface in that in that environment so anyways poppy slowed down um i went into labor which i also have to say uh in in as i relate to you as a mother who's gone through this type of loss is the only thing that i got on my birth plan that i that i wrote down you know that i wanted was (laughs) was to go into net to go into labor naturally yeah In hindsight, as I, you know, I'm a writer and so I'm like looking through all my notes and journals and finding birth plans and I'm just like, there were these very rage filled, angry moments where I was like, nobody asks you if you want a live or dead baby. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, like, I just like really like, because there, you know, it's just like, oh, would you like an epidural or do you want a natural or like, oh, do you want this or that? Or like, oh, do you want to give a bath or do you want to wait? And you're like, no one, no one asked me if I wanted to, you know. No one asked me if I wanted a live baby. Of course I want a live baby. You know, anyways, yeah. I'm being kind of silly, but no, um, it's-, it's true, right? Like we go through these things. So anyway, I went into labor naturally. It was, it was, it was kind of everything that I would have imagined going into labor would be. It, it was pretty simple at the beginning and then it got hard. And then um, we got the green light to go into the hospital, at which point, um, 
within an, a half hour of uh, being there, they were going to monitor Poppy's heartbeat. And as you so aptly described the process of the one nurse not being able to find similar. <laughs> so similar, right? One thing that our distinction was very different it, it, that you had described was how like no one was willing to say it. Like you felt like you, yeah. you had to be like, she's dead, which I also said those words, but thankfully, I, I'm just going to say, thankfully, my, my, the staff that was taking care of me was more straightforward, right? Like who, why would you keep someone on the, like, why would you keep someone hanging in those moments? Yeah. So, and all of this is, is really beautifully captured in, in the memoir that I wrote, but um, pop, they couldn't find Poppy's heartbeat. And, and so, you know, it was just the thing from like the nurse leaving the room to go get the midwife, the midwife coming in, confirming, I'm so sorry, Katie, we can't find a heartbeat. The shock of just like, I don't, what do you, that doesn't, what do you mean? You know, I mean, it was just like, you know, you, you get it like that, that just utter shock of, and horror of like, she's dead. Like, what do you, what do you like? How can, I can't even conceptualize of that at this point. Like, yeah. Like the, the the car seat is 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 in the car. Like we went to the car seat lady and made sure that like we did like there's like a quarter test where like you make sure that like the car seat doesn't move with a quarter and like you, did, you we did all the things you know what I mean. We it's like alive the, yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the nursery, like it's it's done. Like like you know what do you mean? Like I've got maternity. Like it, it, I mean all of it. Like my breast milk, right? And like it's all like it just floods in and so. We, um, you know, in terms of, I, I could go on, right. But like, and, and for your listeners, everyone's experience is a little bit different, but you know, I, I did end up giving birth, um, vaginally, which I remember you asking for a C-section, right. And one of the things that had come into my mind was, do you cut her out of me? Like, it was just like all these questions of just like, well, what do I do now? And in my case, Poppy was my first and, um, you know, one of the nurses very kindly explained, or I think it was the midwife, but had kindly explained that, that it would, that a C-section would only be warranted in the case of emergency to the baby or the mother. And in this case, there was no emergency <clears throat> and, you know, medical emergency, right? Like there might've been an emergency in my brain, but, um, but then that it would, that, giving birth vaginally would be better for my future, right? Because I would be able to then give birth vaginally in the future, right? So I wouldn't have that complication. And so, you know, all of these things are just like flooding in and, um, and it just kind of having to process. Um, so I did end up giving birth later. That's that day that we had arrived. Um, and I, I just want to say, so Poppy was born at 3.39 PM on October 26, 2015. And Lately, I've been seeing 3:39 on the clock, like a lot, like PM in the afternoon. I'm uh, and and it all now, for a while it made me ball, and I would I would see the I would see the number, and I would just like fall apart. And lately, I've she's been revealing herself to me again in that way, and and just like I've seen the time, and I just get the biggest smile on my face. I really do. I I just oh I'm like oh hi darling, like hello thank you for being here. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for being a part of my life. Thank you for being, you know, like I, I just, I also recently read a book called the light between us, but uh, her name, uh, the author's name is, um, um, Oh goodness. Jackson, I think is her last name. Anyway, she's a psychic medium and she talks a lot about signs, you know, and it's Laura Lynn Jackson, Laura Lynn Jackson. Um, and, I, I would recommend it to your audience. I think it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice way to really imagine and believe in the possibility that our babies are, their spirits are still very much a part of our life and they can be if we pay attention, right? We, but we, the livings have to pay attention. We have to be willing to receive those signs. Um, anyway, so Poppy, uh, was born that afternoon and, you know, we ended up spending the night and, um, I decided that I wanted to, um, donate my breast milk, which was a really big healing piece for me. Um, I, I mean, obviously for people that are listening to us, like on, on the subject of side note on the subject of like what to do when you have a stillborn baby, <laughs> you know, like the, <laughs> you're, 
You're like, uh, okay, I didn't like read that book before going to the hospital. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't, you read all the like happiest baby on the block and you read like how to breastfeed and how to swaddle and how to, you don't, you don't prepare for stillbirth. So I think what one thing I mentioned in my memoir is this one book that it's, I mean, it's a beautiful book. What can I say? I mean, it's, it's doing the best it can, but it's like 100 things for grieving parents to do after having a stillborn child. It's one of those books. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm like post post mortem, right. I'm like in my, in the empty nursery reading this book on things that, you should do when your baby dies. And I hated this book because I hated that I was reading this book. You know, I hated that I needed this book and I resented this book. And, you know, there were things like, you know, give your baby a name and, and give your baby a bath and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm like cross-eyed going like, who doesn't give their baby a name? You know, I mean, but, but again, like that book was very relevant and important for helping shift, I think, helping shift things for parents who have stillborn babies because we we do need to give our babies our our names and and as you and I were talking about before we started recording a lot of women you know even just as soon as 30 40 50 years ago their babies were taken away from them when they were stillborn and they never got to hold them and they never the option of giving a bath or giving a name or swaddling or taking pictures didn't even exist so thankfully that has changed Anyway, I could go on, on on forever and answer all sorts of questions that aren't even being asked. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we we uh, we we ended up leaving the next day, and as any, I'm sure, all mothers and of course fathers. But I and I want to say this too, like <clears throat> the it took me years, years. I'm, I'm, I'm seven years. Poppy, Poppy died seven years ago for anybody listening. That's, you know, one weekend, two, two months, a year, two years. I mean, it takes a lot, this takes a lot of time and you want to punch the wall because you don't want it to take time because it hurts so bad. But I will, I will say what I wanted to say is specifically that it took me years, probably three or four even five years to truly accept that my experience as the mother was extremely different than my husband's experience. And, and that I'm not dissing on him when I don't include him, when I don't say we, when I don't, whatever, like, cause for a long, I'm always like, Oh, and Eli was hurting too, but you know, but because he was, but also like we carried our babies we created them. You know, they, they grew inside of us. We nurtured them every single second nanosecond of the time that from the moment they were conceived, it was us. You know, we brought them into the world and then we gave birth to them. And so I, 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 I really just, I, I take, I have now stepped in. I, it's, it's almost like accepting the responsibility and the power of saying I am the mother. And so my experience is different. So I, that's just a side note. So for all you moms out there, if you're feeling any sort of like guilt or whatever about how your experience is different than the man's, it just is. Yeah. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. And a lot of the times too, I think they don't, they don't have an outlet to talk. So we don't truly know how they're feeling and to tell other people how they're feeling I think is just not, um, not fair to them because they're not able to accurately tell people how they're feeling. It's they're so true. And, and, and even on, on a similar note, something that Eli, my husband dealt with a lot, um, was people not even asking him how he was doing. People would see him and say, how's Katie doing? Yeah. How's Katie doing? So then Eli's put in the responsibility of like, uh, she's struggling, you know, but meanwhile, no one's like, how are you doing? Like, how is this for you? And, and in my case, and I, and I'm not sure if yours was different because I know your husband is, um, military. And so he was gone some of the time Eli and I were like glue, you know, we were stuck together and, um, it, it, 
it just doesn't give Eli the chance to articulate what he's going through because no. And so, and then that's where people, that's where men start to then bury their feelings. Cause it's like, well, mine don't matter. No one cares. No one's even asking me how I'm doing. I am responsible for taking care of Katie, my wife. That is my job. So I'm just going to turn into a rock, solidify, not process my feelings and then drive forward and take care of my wife. Meanwhile, you know, we're struggling as women and also desperate to know if our husbands are hurting. (laughs) Desperate. Like, like, is this hurting you as much as it's hurting me? Cause it doesn't seem like it is. And like, that makes me angry because, you know, like it's so complicated. This is so a lot of pain. (laughs) So hard for marriages. This is so hard for marriages. Yeah. Yeah. I would say on the, on the top 10 things not to say to a grieving parent is I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of people end up getting divorces over this kind of loss. And you're like, thanks. (laughs) People, people actually said that to us, like one, two months into our loss, we're literally newlyweds. We're madly in love with one another. We get pregnant. We have this baby. She dies, you know, one or two months into our loss. People are like, yeah, we're, it's amazing. You guys are really like, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how much you two love each other. And and we're like, uh, yeah. Like, was I supposed to go to the courthouse and file for divorce? Like, what are you talking about? Like, of course, like, no. Yeah. People, people, uh, people are so uncomfortable with, they are. And, they just, they just know what they hear or see on social media or in movies. And it's, <laughs> I know it's completely different when in real life you lose a baby and yeah, I know me and John, he, it was different for us because he wasn't there the first five days. So he didn't get to hold her. He didn't get to see her. Um, he, and you know, and, and me and my grief in my trying to process and take care of my kids and, um, make all these decisions. I, you know, didn't even think to ask the funeral home, like, can we wait? Can we do this? Um, nobody, nobody told me it was a choice. Like nobody, Yeah. it's like, but anyways, like he, his experience, he was so upset and mad, but I mean, like Eli, he was the protector, you know, the husband, like he needed to be stoic and protect us and he didn't matter. And not that we felt that way. Of course. We were mad and resentful because they just looked fine. <laughs> like they just, yeah. you know, but so we, I mean, we ended up going to therapy for a year. Yeah, um, we, we were in therapy this. too. And if we didn't, we probably would not be together. Agreed. I, I, yes, we had six months of weekly therapy that helped drain our savings account and was totally worth it. You know what I mean? Like it was vital to understand how we were processing things differently. And, 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 and specifically in my case, right? Like, um, because not everyone is this way. In many ways, Eli and I were still getting to know one another. We met in 2013. We fell in love. We dated for a year. He asked me to marry him. I said, yes, we immediately got married because we were pregnant and then our baby died. So like we'd only known each other for actually, so I've never thought about this, but we had known each other for just under two years and our, when our baby died, like known each other. Yeah. And so like I had never seen him grieve. We hadn't needed to grieve. Like, got there yet. No, good God. <laughs> like we were still, I mean, like we barely even argued like, cause we were still in this beautiful and that, you know, and it was bliss. Like, I mean, we, we were really happy. Like we were really into each other. I had dated a lot. I, you know, I had had lots of three month relationships, you know, and like this yeah. guy was it. And so, gosh, yeah, we've, um, you know, and I will say on, on, and in regards to therapy, which is, which is, I think, super important, both for couples when you're ready, right. When you're ready as an individual, um, as a, as an individual, I, 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 I tried getting, I had never, I'm sure I could have used some therapy, but I had never been in therapy before Poppy died. It had never really 
been one of those situations where it's like, oh, I need a therapist. Um, but uh, I tried a therapist that it, I did not vibe with. You know, you, you read about that in the in the memoir, and I was really I I felt like that was really an important piece of my journey to share so that other people could go, oh, okay, interesting. Like, I don't actually like my therapist either. Like, I am going to dump this person because you can, right? Like, exactly. we are hiring the person to help us. If the person is not helping us or if it doesn't vibe, like, it's your prerogative to say, you know what? I got to go find somebody else that I feel like I can vibe with. And to know that there are so many different modalities out there and different and personalities that you're going to be able to really grow with a therapist. But you know, when the time is right, like therapy is, is really helpful to just have someone, of course, objective, right? Because ideally you're going to have a therapist that doesn't say the dumb stuff that your best friend or your sister or your mom (laughs) or your neighbor or all these very well-intentioned, loving, kind people who say things that they don't mean are, are painful or, you know, that we as the griever have to just kind of smile and say, thank Thank you. Thank you. You know, thank you for that piece of advice that is now I'm now I'm going to have to go home and cry for half an hour and then take a three hour nap and hopefully wake up and not ruminate about for the next six days. Yeah. You just said that to me, but OK, thanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know we don't even have the fight in us to. Yeah. Well, you know, exactly. To deal with these things that are said. No, Luckily, that's why we that's why we write books and start podcasts. I know. <laughs> that's how we get to do it. I know. I was um when I was reading your book, you know, and I was it's like I don't think I encountered anybody that said things to me like that. Um, just like that off putting ridiculous comments, you know, about you can have another one, you know. She wasn't meant to be or whatever they want to say. Yeah, yeah. Or but, now she has angel wings. Oh, you have an angel. That's nice. I wanted my baby. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I was interested in a living child that I could take to the playground. Yeah. But um, I think language is another thing that is so crucial in supporting people who have lost babies. There, I don't know about you, but like when I... Uh, after she died, like a few days later, my best friend flew in to take care of me and the kids. And she came with me to the records office and I had him print out every single piece of paper that, you know, and it was like a stack this big for just the one day. Um, so I could go through it. But the the term fetal demise, mm. like, I don't know if that bothered you at all, but mm. for me, it was like, what does that mean? A fetal demise. Like it's just uh, the negative terms that are used in regards to stillbirth and miscarriage and everything else. Like I feel puts more shame in us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I definitely had a, an experience uh, similar to yours when I read Poppy's autopsy report for the first time, which like I, I was a disability lawyer at the time that Poppy died. So I was practicing social security disability law and reading medical records was part of my job. I read them all the time. Obviously I had never had cause to read an autopsy report and certainly not an autopsy report for a baby, but reading those findings. Yeah. First of all, like, I mean, you know, and it's all medical, right? Like it, it has to be right. It has, it's certainly not like common, you know, vernacular, um, for like conversational, but I, I do agree. I, I remember in, in particular, like, I think it was intra intrauterine fetal demise. Right. So like stuff like that, like, you know, it's painful. Right. And, and reading about, um, um, what was it? Intra intrauterine growth restriction, right. The IUGR, um, which I had never heard of. And people mentioned in my, um, first time I ever heard those, that acronym was in my support group, which would be another thing that if, if you have, if, if for, for anyone listening, if you have access to a support group, like through the a children's hospital, if you're in a big metropolitan area or somewhere that has a children's hospital, I highly, highly recommend the support group being around. I mean, as you and I are just like jibber jabbering and having, we can relate, we can just relate. 
like you to be able to relate to other parents who have been through this there's just nothing I, to me there's nothing more valuable because we just get it I mean, and, and, you know, we're laughing. I mean, you know, we're like, we're like, you know, we could cry, we could laugh, we can, all the things is, is because our, our family and friends are well-meaning, but they don't get it. And I'm glad they don't get it. I don't want everybody to get it. I don't need anybody to get this. I mean, like, I don't, I don't want anyone to like, God, when I hear about other people having had loss, I'm just like, oh, sorry. Like, it's going to suck. You know, yeah. like there's just no way around think this. Think about the long road that they have ahead of them. It's a very long all road. Yes, all the. Well, and I and I that actually reminds me in the in the context of support groups. It reminds me of the very first one that we went to was November of 2015, and at that um, meeting, there was a young mother who her son was born in November. Uh, was still born in November five years previously. So he was born in um, 2010 and she was there at the support group talking about how every November she had, <clears throat> she took a week off like from work around the time that he died and how she fell apart and how it was still hard. And I was 11 days after it was 11 days after Poppy had died. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, no, no. It's still going to be hard in five years. Five years? Are you kidding me? Five? I couldn't fathom that this was like our new normal or whatever it is. That you, like, I'm still going to be sad in five years. And and you're like, yeah. I mean, I every October for me is is a challenge. Um, but now it's crazy for in my case, my, our our daughter Moxie was also born in October. So there's like the joy of October yeah, and the sadness of October. Um, I, I, your, you know, your listeners would have no reason to know this, but this last year I battled and I, I am going to use the word battle, even though I don't really like the war, um, yeah. the war analogy, uh, uh, stage four breast cancer diagnosis, <clears throat> five months of chemotherapy. Um, I had a mastectomy in October, <laughs> So now it's like, okay, so October is now like, I got my boob cut off. I lost a baby. Like all, I'm just like, October, you can just take a dump. Like I'm done with you. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm like, October, you suck. October, my dad was, my dad's birthday is in October and he had all, you know, he's also passed away of, of cancer. So like, you know, and life is life. Gosh, life is so hard and beautiful and mysterious. And I think, you know, on the subject of anniversaries, even though we aren't necessarily talking about those, like, I think that like, and and today actually being an engage anniversary for a long time, I mean, I counted Mondays, Mondays, you know, Poppy was born on a Monday. So like every, every was every Monday, every, oh, it's another Monday. You know, it's like, oh, Monday, like Mondays were destroyed. Right. And then it was like, Yeah. And then it was like every, you know, okay. Then, you know, you're just counting. And then, then of course, like the, the anniversary and then the day that we found out we were pregnant. Oh, and then that's such a horrible day. And then like all these days. Right. And as time has gone on, we do have choice, right? Like we can, how we choose to memorialize, how we choose to celebrate and also to honor, to forgive ourselves. Like, to let it be one more letting go or, you know, that would be, you know, that was one of the big themes of my memoir was choice and empowering our, giving our, like realizing as the mother that we don't have to be defined by our losses, right? Like I, I don't, I don't want for, I definitely felt like as, as the person, I, I definitely walked through the world for a while and felt like I wish I could just wear a t-shirt that said my baby died so many months ago, right? Like <laughs> flip the chart. Like my baby died five months ago. That's why I, that's why I am this way, whatever, whether it was like, I look this way or act this way or why, <laughs> why I'm bawling in the cereal aisle. Cause I, you know, of the grocery store or whether or not like, like 
I, I felt like I wanted to wear a sign that said like, here's, here's why I'm such a wreck. And then as time goes on, right. You know, you can, you can kind of like, you realize I don't, I don't have to be defined by this experience, but I can choose to learn and take what I, what I want from this and carry my daughter's legacy forward, right? Like live for her, talk about her in a way that like, to say, look, there's no way that we can prevent every single stillbirth. And unfortunately, other parents are going to go through this. So I'm going to share my story. Valen, you're sharing your story, right? Like we're going to talk about it so that for the next person that goes through it, they know, oh, okay, I'm not alone. I'm absolutely 100% not alone. And all these feelings are normal. They suck. They're painful. It's like grueling. And you and I needed help. Oh my gosh, I needed so much help. Yeah. I learned how to ask for help so that in this, like Poppy taught me how to ask for help. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, I immediately started asking for help. No hesitation, right? Like I was like, you can make me food. You can bring me things. You can take care of my daughter. You can like, I, I, I was like, I can't do this without my community. And I, yeah. I did learn that Poppy helped, you know, teach me that. That's a big lesson. I think that a lot of us learn through this. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of moms and women in general have trouble always asking for help for anything. Um, in your book too, you said, it's so funny because I always refer to Evelyn as my catalyst for mm. everything that I'm doing. And you use the same phrase yes. in your book about it just being that thing. Like for me, it was realizing that life is really short and that's so freaking cliche, but and true <laughs> and true. And for me, I'm like, I had a really, I don't, I don't want to say traumatic, but I had a terrible childhood. Um, mm. a really, I remember you mentioning your mom. mom and yeah. So I just, um, I was always kind of just, disassociated living, mm. just getting by, not, not, not like, not in the in moment. your body, in my yeah. body. I was always, yeah. in my head. Mm. and I'm like, I have these two beautiful little girls that are right here with me. And I've been, I have been just clueless. <laughs> I'm just, and I'm like, I can't be like this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. Like I want, I want them to love life because I always thought I loved life. Like I love being alive. I love experiencing everything we experience, but she made me realize that I was not doing a very good job. Oh, <laughs> wow. So um, that was her message. So I feel like that was her message for me. And I had always, you know. I guess, been the victim. Like I, I was a victim to my suffering. It was, yes. um, from my trauma and my childhood years. And, and it's still like, I'm July will be four years for me from Evelyn's death. And I had realized lately that I am not doing a very good job. Again, I have let my healing go. Mm -hmm. I have not been since we moved here, we moved here from the Seattle area, like June, uh, 2021. So like two years ago, almost two years ago. And I haven't found another therapist yet. And I haven't like gotten help. I haven't even like gone to the dentist. I haven't mm. been taking care of myself again. -care. Yeah. And that's spilling over into my parenting again. Mm -hmm. And it's just, she reminds me that my chaos is self-inflicted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Valen. I, you know, I just, I just have to acknowledge you for being so vulnerable and willing to share all of that. It's, I mean, that is, that is special. And, and people reflect that to me too, because that's, that is, I, and, you know, I say vulnerability is, well, authenticity is my number one value and vulnerability is my superpower. Yeah. It is a gift to be able to be vulnerable, to talk about, the fact that you haven't gotten your teeth cleaned because that's disgusting. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a joke. But but to to 
Well, because the self-care piece is, so I really do think, and, and this is, and you had children, right? You had two children and then you went through a loss and now you have your son. And I didn't have any children. And then I went through my loss and now I have my daughter. And, you know, when people have said a lot of podcasts that I've been on, you know, podcasters want to know what was your inspiration for writing the book? Why, 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 why did you write the book? Right. And I said, well, you know, the, the first and foremost, the number one inspiration that for me was to heal. I wrote the book to save my own soul. It, it was the way writing for me was the way that I could process without judgment, with yeah. no fear. My, I mean, when I, when I ended up getting my developmental editor to help me really finish this, the arc of the story, I came to her with 125,000 words. That's, that would have been like a 500 page book. If I had just dumped, if I dumped, dumped all of that into, right. The book itself from cover to cover is I think 214 pages. I got it under, I got it under 50,000 words. So all of my point is to say the book itself is a beautifully edited, gorgeous narrative, right? That takes you on a journey, right? It is not a dump of everything that I ever cried into my laptop because, but that's how I processed, right? So it started as a way for me to heal my soul and then it became something much bigger. And that was like the, 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 the gift to every other parent who've ever been through stillbirth, like the gift to all the rainbow babies who were in their forties and fifties, who had a mother to your point that never took care of herself, that never figured out how to, to get out of the darkness of loss. And so they lived their whole life going like, I just lived in the shadow of something and I didn't even know what it was until I found out that I had, my mother had a stillborn child when I was like, I've, I've heard these stories from people where they're like, you know, casually at a potluck where they're like, Hey Katie, I just want to let you know, like you sharing your story on Facebook is so amazing because I didn't know until I was 50 that I had a big brother who died because my mom never talked about it. And, and I always wondered why my mom was so sad. I never understood and come to find out, like, I get it now. Like, and what you're doing, the, and this is, you know, they're saying this to me, like the fact that you're working so hard on your healing is not only a gift to yourself, but to your future children. Right. Yeah. And that's, we, you know, we heal for ourselves and then we heal for our children. We heal because we are mothers and because we want to be the best mother that we can be. And we want to show our, our children that existed before the loss and our children that exist after that we can get through these things. Yeah. That, that life is going to be hard. Oh, good Lord. Life is hard, right? <laughs> but it's so worth it. The alternative, you know, I mean, and I've, I've talked about, I mean, the alternative, which is, which is death, which I, I believe or non-existence, right? Like I, I believe I personally, especially now having gone through cancer treatment and having to face my own mortality and the fear in that way of leaving everything behind, way before I really wanted to. And thankfully the treatment has really worked very well, but I still have to live with all that is that, um, you know, wait, what was my point? I'm losing my train of thought. Um, uh, I, I guess ultimately we're like, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, You're good. yeah. What was I saying? Just like that, that we, Oh, the alternative, right? The alternative being alternative. dead, the oh. alternative, right? So, so essentially what I was thinking, so the alternative and I, and I, so I was had this fascinating conversation with this amazing woman who's a Reiki master and sort of like a little bit of a medium ish. Like she, you know, she's got all sorts of cool, beautiful juju powers. Yeah. And we were talking about not being afraid of dying, right? So going through my cancer treatment, something that I had to face was my fear of death. And man, I faced it head on and I'm not afraid anymore. I really am. I, I, I had to go into that. Cause like, it's one thing to have your baby die and then it's, and cause that sucks. And then it's a whole nother thing for someone to be like, ah, you have stage four cancer. You're 41 years old. This could kill you. Right. You're like, so then you bravely just like barrel into that journey and go, okay, 
I'm terrified. I'm going to face my fears. And so what my, what my friend and I were talking about is I'm not afraid of death, but you know, what's so amazing about being alive is that like, we get to drink a nice warm cup of coffee. We get to eat chocolate covered strawberries. We get to touch our children's hair. We get to feel the warmth of the sun on our skin. We get to lay down on nice clean sheets and, and, and cuddle with our lovers. And like, we get to, we get to smell the roses when they're blooming in the spring. Like the, we get to actually tangibly experience all of this. And so I think whatever is beyond is probably pretty awesome and painless and, you know, there's no anxiety and all that sort of good stuff. But as hard as life is, man, it's great. It's special. We get to watch sunsets. We get to, you know, we get to jump into the ocean. We, you know, we get to all the things that we get to feel and it's, it's remembering that. And so I think even when you're in the depths of your sadness and your grief and your pain, you know, grief is love, right? So when we can remember that I can feel this, you know, and that, and, and to offer yourself self-compassion, to put your hands over your heart, to say, this is a moment of suffering. This is, oh, okay. I'm suffering. I feel this. I feel this in my bones. I feel it in my, my shoulders. I feel it in the tears that are streaming down my face. I feel it because I love the child that I lost and I love myself. And so I choose to love myself and, and, and keep going. Right. And know that, Time doesn't necessarily heal, but one action, the next action, the next action, right? The next healthy right action, taking care of yourself, the drinking the water, the getting your teeth cleaned, the showing your children that like, hey, look at me. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do the things. We're going to cook a healthy meal. We're going to we're going to spend time together at just one action over and over and over. And then eventually, you know, you're like, hey, look at me. I'm getting better. Yeah. I'm getting better day by day. That was a big part for me is the intentionality of making the choices every day to live. Just getting out of bed. Like I had, I had to, I had to have the conversations in my head. Like you have to get up. You're going to let your three and five year old, like run around, not eat. Like, and that's another thing too. I can imagine losing a baby my first baby, because for me, I had my two other ones that were like, I had to live for. You had to. And so I always get so sad for mom, especially with the first baby. Like, cause I know you had your work and you had your husband, but it's like children are different when it comes to being a reason to live. Yeah. Like, um, which you know now, obviously. And oh, yes. Um, but yeah, being intentional, that's like my word of the year this year, because I'm like, oh, good. I have to, I have to do this. Like I have to get some trauma therapy. Like I never got yes. specialized therapy. I just got a general therapist. Cause that's all that was available at the time. Cause it was, well, I was right before COVID. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I need like somatic somatic healing and yes, I, need, yes, you know, Ricky and I need yes. all things. So that's what I'm doing this year. Good. Because I just realized I'm slipping back into my pain and mm-hmm. then everything else falls. Everything falls. Yeah. So yeah. Oh my God. I just love how vulnerable you are. You really are. And like, that's something that's always been hard for me. Like, I'm not a very vulnerable person. Like, I think I'm getting there. I think yeah. I'm working on it because I'm a natural avoider. That's what my therapist always told me. <laughs> I avoid everything. Um, well, and, and, and that's part of the disassociation. I mean, if you yeah. spent your entire childhood disassociated, like, that was a coping mechanism. It, it was a survival mechanism for exactly. you in order to 
make it through. And, and thank goodness that our brains are wired to protect ourselves. Like that's how our brains are wired, right? So you made it through a traumatic childhood with a mother that didn't take care of you the way that you deserved to be taken care of, right? Because, and she wasn't taking care of herself or, you know, whatever trauma, cyclical, historical, generational lineage, all this stuff, right? Like, I mean, I, my mother and I are, have a, have a, 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 a beautiful relationship, but I have also realized over time that I cannot do the work for her. Yeah. We can only do the work for ourselves. Healing is an inside job. It takes a heck of a lot of courage. It takes so much courage to go deep and, and, and to, to peel back the layers and also just to Really, it's a it's a lesson in self acceptance because I mean, we we're we're meant to be taken care of and nurtured when we're children, and then whatever circumstances are piled upon us, like without our choosing necessarily, and then we become adults, and all of a sudden we're supposed to be responsible. You used the word victim earlier, right? So like shifting from a victim mindset that is sort of all that's been, you know modeled to you. Yeah. If you've, if you've, if you've been, if, if victimhood has been modeled to you your entire life, shifting into a responsibility mindset is a huge deal. Right. And like, that's how we heal the world. That's, I mean, really, truly, like, I think that that's something also too, that's so vitally important for those of us who are going through this is that like, we are not just healing ourselves when we do this hard work, like we are helping heal the world. Because we are we are modeling what is possible yeah. to to our children, to our partners, to our to our communities. And then in your case, in our case, right, because of technology and writing, everything that we can share like to others, that like this is possible and it is not easy, but it is so worth it. I know. It's so worth it. There's a lot of um I've what did I, I saw something or I read something yesterday, but it was, oh, probably because all the research I'm doing, um, for the membership, but the, I always hope that these podcast episodes that we do and the writings and the, they reach the moms who are unable to fight. Yeah. Like there are so like, that's something you really don't see or hear talked about is that the moms who I don't even know what the term would be, but they are just, they cannot let go. Mm -hmm. They're, they're in their pain. They're always there. They are probably disassociating from real life Mm -hmm. and just kind of getting by and just living day by day and their marriages get ruined and their relationships with their other children get ruined. Yes. And, and it's not necessarily their fault. They don't have support yeah, and, and they don't know how to ask for it. Right. They've been programmed like our society is like talking about this type of thing is shameful and right. you should be ashamed. You shouldn't, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants right. to talk to you about that, you know, and especially if that's the type of environment they live in, you know, and uh, yeah. it just hurts my heart when I think about the women who can't get up from it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I totally feel the same way and I'm, and I'm, and I am so thankful that I, that I have, right. I think too, some, something I thought a lot about this past year as I was going through cancer treatment was the, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that comparison is the killer of joy. And so one of the things that I noticed in, in myself was that you know, it's, it's one thing to compare ourselves to the people who, you know, have, have more, it looks prettier and shinier and newer and fancier and more on trend and yada, yada. And they've got better vacations. And, you know, I mean, from like that outside sort of like envious, like they've got more clearly have more money, blah, blah, blah. But what I also noticed was that I found myself comparing comparing myself to people who had, okay, whatever, however the right way to say this, have less or are su- appear to be suffering more 
or are in worse situations than me or have fewer resources or have lack of access. And what I, what for me, the distinction that I was able to notice is that it doesn't do me, me and my life any good to compare myself to people who have less because what happens is that then I stop being grateful for what I do have for my beautiful home and my amazing relationship with my husband and my incredible daughter. And, and this is again, all in the context of having a stage four breast cancer diagnosis, right? Or cause, because I would say like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, do, do I deserve this meal train? Do like, do I deserve their suffering? This is, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't do I Do I like, should, should I be asking for help? There are people who need help more than me. So do I, I don't like, I don't deserve this help. Right. Again, it was all a noticing and to go, you know what, I'm going to be just as careful when I notice, when I notice myself shifting into this, like, oh, but there are people who have less than I do. Of course, of course there are. There always will be. There always will be. Right. But it doesn't serve really truly anyone because to, to be, to then go, okay, well, you know what? I'm just not going to be, I, I, I shouldn't have these things because it takes, again, it takes you out of the moment. It takes you out of what, what is beautiful about your life. What is, what, what there are, what you can be grateful for. Um, and you're allowed and I to think, be grateful for those things. Exactly. Yes. Like it, it is important to be able to say, yes, I would. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we take care of ourselves and when we are grateful for what we do have, it makes us more available to help, to help someone else. Right. Because it gets us out of our, eventually, like when we can be grateful for what we have. And in my case, especially I'm starting to feel better. I just finished radiation on February 3rd. I had 28 straight rounds of radiation, um, six weeks. It was, it was grueling. And towards the end, it was utterly exhausting. And I'm quite frankly, I'm still exhausted. Oh like God, I'm still have, Twelve the, days. the fatigue is still really real. Um, but I have already been able to reach out my hand to other people and, and offer support and say, I would like to, you know, return the favor or what I would, I would like to do something for you. How can I be of service? Right. How can I be of service to someone else? But but first and foremost, in order to be of service of others, we have to be, we have to take care of ourselves. And so we get to be selfish, right? When we need it, right? This is a time, this, this time for anyone who's going through loss, especially in the very early stages, I would say the first year two, you get a a pass, like you get a pass, like you get to be selfish. You get to take care of yourself. You get to ask for help, um, you know, because you need it you yeah. need it. And, and by, by sort of like, and, 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 you know, for anyone else, like if anyone's listening to this and like the first however many years have gone by and you're still totally stuck now is, now is the perfect opportunity to start getting unstuck, right? Like there's always time, like it's, it's the time is now and, and, and healing happens, can happen in an instant. And you mentioned Reiki, you know, there's so many beautiful modalities and so many incredible healers out there. Um, you know, hypnosis, um, I mean, there's just so many ways that you can reach deep and, um, and, and begin that healing process. It's never too late. Yeah. And I feel another good note is saying that because grief is always there, it just a little less or more Yeah, is that you'll have times when it completely knocks you off your feet again and yes. you might need to start all over. You might need to find a therapist. You might need to get more help again. Like, and it yes. might, it might stay for a while. It might stay for a few months, but that's okay. <laughs> it is. It's true. I like to, I really like to think about, um, what I've, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about this past year is the the evolution, right? That we are, we evolve, right? So what I like about the idea of evolution is that it, it, it isn't like a, a, you know, like I, I started at the bottom and I, when I die, I'm going to end at the top, right? Like, no, no, no. It's, it can be a crazy winding 
wishwashy squiggle mess, but yeah. it's still an evolution because you're changing, right? So it's an evolution. And 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 what I, again, in the context of my my cancer treatment, but I really think it applies very much to anyone who's gone through uh, baby loss is we are never going to go back to anything. It's not, I'm going to get back. I'm not going to, we're never going to be the person that we were before our loss. It, it's a line in the sand. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I used to just kind of think of my life in terms of like before Poppy died and after Poppy died for a very long time. Now it's before I was diagnosed with cancer and after I was diagnosed yeah. with cancer, I've got these two major lines, like the abyss of like, okay, life just I like, and what I am, I try to be very intentional in my language. You've mentioned this earlier. I, I really try never to say, I want to get back into, let's say shape or whatever. I want to get that, the level of energy that I had before. I might never have the type of energy and endurance that I had before. It just, I might never have it, right? Like, cause I've had, I've been poisoned and radiated and cut open and all the things, right? It's possible in two or three years, but it, I also have to live two or three more years of life to get there and, and effort to try. Right. And so, like you said, intention, like I have to be like, that's what I want, but it's not a getting back. Right. It's going forward. It's always going forward, right? Even if going forward is painful, it's still going forward. And yeah. again, like it's kind of, some of it is cliche, but it's a lot of people don't actually think about these things. They don't give themselves the time or the space, <laughs> right? If they've right? not through chemo, if they haven't, like I would never have the amount of wisdom and experience and the thoughts and feelings that you have because I've never been there. And so most of the people you know, the people who haven't been affected by child loss, infant yeah. loss and stuff, like we can never expect them to understand. And that's something you said earlier. Um, yeah. Oh, there's so much. I feel like we could talk for another five. Yes. Hours. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. This has been really a wonderful conversation. I it's... know. I wanted to ask you one more thing though. Okay. Yeah. We talked about journaling and therapy. Yes. Is there something else that you think really helped you down your healing path that we haven't talked about? Well, I mean, on the subject of, of this, I would say creativity. So explore your creativity, um, create like the, 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 the therapist that I ended up really resonating with ended up she was an art therapist. And so we would create and we would create in, um, we would, and it, it was nothing that like I ever hung on the wall. Right. Like it was just like, but I, I could use our brain processes differently when we're, um, you know, when we're speaking versus when we're writing, it also processes differently when we're scribbling with crayons, a gnarly picture of whatever. Like I, I have one picture where I'm just like, all I drew was like flames. I remember just like drawing like flames and black and then scribbling black all over it because that's how I felt. It was just like burning yep. darkness of smoke and whatever. And so, but then there was, then I kind of got into making collages and then I would, um, you know, just gather random things around my house and, and make mosaics and like whatever. So I would say explore your creativity if that's in song or dance or, um, you know, there's just so many ways to express ourselves creatively and, and to release our pain in those ways. And so I would say, yeah, writing, um, support, uh, support groups, therapy, um, express your creativity, whatever way that looks like, um, ask for help as much as you can. Yeah. I always tell people to get sunshine, go outside. Yes. Nature. Even it's like the day after you lose your baby, go sit on your porch, Yeah, breathe in the air, yes. drink water, get the sunshine. Like I think we forget that some of the easiest ways, yes. not the easiest, it's not easy. Even going- Well, accessible. Outside, there you go. Yeah. The most accessible- Free. Things that we can do. We just, we, I don't know, we've forgotten. We've really forgotten what our bodies need. 
Yes. Um, because we're told that they need all these other things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but water and sunshine and moving and just walking, like it is so healing. Exercise was crucial. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was determined to, for me in particular, I was very you athletic, motivated. Right? You were, yeah, I am athletic. I was very motivated to lose the baby weight. Be, be, I, I, I just was like, I, I had, I was like, I gotta get this off. And for, for me, it was part of the, um, it was, again, it was 100% my perception of the world, but like I needed to not look at all postpartum. Yeah. And and it, that was, that, that part for me was so hard because I, I was just like, again, I wanted a t-shirt that said, there's a reason I look like this. You know what I mean? And I didn't look bad. Yeah. It was, but again, it was my own personal it was you. You needed- image of me. Yeah. Right. And so, but yeah, but exercise and then, yeah, but getting outside and just going for long walks and we adopted, I mean, that, you know, you got to read, <laughs> yeah. we adopted a doggy, a puppy and that, whoa, gosh, summer to channel our love was so special. And we for me, it too. gave me the opportunity to be a mommy. Just, I mean, even to a yeah. puppy. And just last night, Eli and I were cuddling on the couch with Wilson, our dog, who is now seven. And just, I, I said to Eli, I never knew that like you could really love an animal so much. That So for, you know, for anyone whose heart is aching and that, that may have room for a pet in your life, rescue a pet. They will rescue you, you know, Seriously. Yeah. Get, they'll get, especially a doggy because a doggy will get you outside. You've got to, you know what I mean? Care of them. Right. And you, you have, have to. to take care of that doggy. You've got to go outside. It gets you outside. It gets you moving. And I mean, there's so much research, um, around, uh, you know, the benefits of exercise, right? I mean, that sounds dumb, but like, but I mean, specifically like, like for sleeping, like if, you know, if you're sleeping too much or you're having insomnia, right? Like getting outside, getting your exercise helps reestablish all the, your, your systems to know that like, okay, now I'm tired. So I need to go to sleep. And as, yeah. in the context of grief, right? Exercise, yeah. whatever form, if it, if you, if you're walking as slow as a turtle and you're outside, that's fine. At least you're moving, right? Just move your body. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Well, thank you so much. I'm so yeah, this is awesome. Do this. We're gonna have to do it again because I'm already thinking about other things that we did not talk about. Let's do talk about with you. So yeah. Yay. That could be fun. We could yeah, I could yeah. I mean, I would love that, Valen. Totally. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Enjoy your engage anniversary. I hope you, Thank you have something you're going to do today. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was so fun because yesterday was um, Valentine's and he made chocolate covered strawberries. And it's my favorite. I could literally so live good, right? I know. I know. I love strawberries. I'm so happy because it's this is like early February. Uh, strawberries and asparagus are like the two spring. It's like the sign of spring coming. When I know. They get in, start to get in season. It's just like, um, but yeah. Thank you so much, Valen. Thank you for yeah. doing this podcast for, you know, for putting yourself out there. It's one, one you piece of time. I'm so yeah. happy that we're, we're able to. Yeah, yeah. me too. All right, darling. Okay. Bye. Until next time. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the pregnancy loss podcast. I hope you feel just a little bit lighter knowing you are not alone. Don't forget to share this episode or podcast with another person who may need the message. It is so helpful for me to help others find me. I'll see you, I'll see you next week for another episode of the Pregnancy Loss Podcast. Have a great week. Bye.